0: Welcome in everybody to episode 214 of the podcast. It's Sweep in America, the Arator Sports podcast. Really fun show today. I talked about it on the last episode, but this is the time of year, so you guys know me, I like to do topics on this show, right? And so I like stories, I like storylines, I'm not a guy that sits there and breaks down a game for 20 minutes and well with 16 minutes to go, if they had run this in the out of bounds play, things would have been so different, Uh, so... Not a, It's going to be kind of a weird show. This is this is how the show I kind of envision it laying out. I'm going to open kind of a dual North Carolina topic as Roy Williams made some comments that I don't think were inaccurate, and it led to another North Carolina loss, and I think we're really closing in on the possibility that we never see Cole Anthony play at North Carolina again. Talk a little bit about the disappointing ACC, uh, and then I do want to talk a little bit about Kentucky beating Georgia in what I believe was kind of that signature turnaround game that Kentucky has every single season. Where you realize, hey, this team might be putting it together and they might be dangerous. I'll hit on a couple quick games that caught my attention earlier this week. Texas Tech, uh, Baylor beating Texas Tech, Seton Hall getting a nice win, Arkansas and LSU. Again, just going to hit on those really quick. I'm not going to sit here and spend 20 minutes talking about regular season college basketball games. You guys don't want to hear about that. I don't want to talk about it. And unless it's a a week like Louisville, Kentucky, where there's literally only one game the entire week, I'm not going to do that. So that's the rundown of the show. I should mention on the back end. I've promised for weeks we are going to do a mailbag segment of the show. Uh, Interesting questions. A lot of you sent in questions, and I said it on the back end and I'll say it here, is that if you sent in questions, you're always welcome to send in questions. Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. I got a ton. So if your question didn't get answered, don't feel like I don't like you or I hate you or I don't appreciate you listening to this show or sending in questions. I'm going to probably do these once every couple weeks. So continue to send in your questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com and I will get to them. I get to a ton at the end of the show, but it's going to be a great show today. And I should mention, Monday's show is going to be an all timer too, and here's why. First of all, probably going to go a little more college football heavy uh, because we're going to be previewing that national championship game between Clemson and LSU. That's Monday night. Also, even better, I'm going to be doing it from Lagasse Stadium in Vegas. That's right. For those of you who are at the party at Lagasse's, you saw the radio studio in the back. I will be there recording on Sunday. And there's one other little catch, too. I think I got a pretty cool guest coming, Leonard Hamilton, the head coach of Florida State. We haven't officially done the interview yet, but he wants to come on. He actually is a big fan of my work, apparently. He's a big fan of the fact that I appreciate that he's a good coach. So I've been in touch with Florida State, and Leonard Hamilton, I believe, will join the show on Monday. So that's a lot of information on what's going on with AT, with my life, with this show, and I should get started. But before I do, I want to remind everybody, please, 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 Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to shows, you can subscribe to this show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. I read the very, very, very nice review from Yes, Yes, Maybe... Uh, which I also posted on Instagram. It was so nice. But yes, yes, maybe send in a really nice review. My buddy Rico Pico. Actually, he's not my buddy. I don't know who he is. But he also sent a very nice uh, five-star review. And so get on iTunes. Give me a quick five stars. Rate and review the show. It really does help us kind of move up the charts. Also, if you do have questions, again, I'm going to be doing these mailbags. There's a mailbag at the end of this show. Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com send in your questions I will get to them Finally, if you're not following on Instagram, I was giving out some pretty hot picks throughout the week, and then Syracuse really did kind of screw that up. So uh, Aaron uh, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. That's where all the content of the show goes up. Some of you have found my personal page. I don't really uh, do anything on my personal page, but Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast is the place to get content for this show. All right, so like I said, I like to do topics on this show, and if you came here for a 25-minute breakdown of Baylor Texas Tech, I'm sorry, but I'm not your guy. I don't even know if Chris Beard would want to listen to that, but... There is a topic that I think is kind of a huge story in college basketball right now. As usual, I'm ahead of it. Everybody else is behind. Typical, it's what AT does. Uh, I I basically set the trends in college basketball. This is what I realized, is everybody tells me I got hot takes, and then two weeks later, everybody's talking about what I was talking about two weeks ago when they said I had a hot take. It happened with Louisville. Everyone said, oh, Louisville, Torres is a hot take because he doesn't think they're very good. Two weeks later, everyone's saying they're not very good, And there is a topic that's involved North Carolina that I do want to get to. And so what it really stems from was two things. The first thing came on Tuesday night, uh, Roy Williams was doing his radio show. And you guys all follow your team, whatever your team is, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, North Carolina, Duke, whatever. And in his radio show, Roy Williams made a comment that he said that he believed that his current team the team that we're watching right now in 2019-2020 is the least gifted team that he has ever coached at North Carolina. And it became this big national talking point, and oh my god, how could he talk about his players like that? And like, I actually think that for the most part, it was actually pretty true. Um, I have talked about that on this show dating back to really North Carolina's, frankly, I've talked about it since the preseason. I said, look, they got a couple grad transfers coming in, I'm not a believer in the grad transfer route, especially when a kid is uh, transferring from a low major program to the high major level. I don't think it's easy to go from the Big South or the Big West or the SoCon or whatever to the ACC and have success. And so I said, outside of Cole Anthony, I'm just not sold on this team. Then the games get played. North Carolina struggles. They struggled in their season opener against Notre Dame when Cole Anthony had 34 points and kind of bailed them out. But... I said after the Ohio State game when they lost by 25, I came on this show around uh, this time of night, actually. I'm recording about midnight Eastern here on Wednesday. I said, North Carolina's not very good. Like, I'm sorry, I hate to be rude, but I believe that they have about four players that are really kind of good enough to play in the ACC at this point. And, and at that point, it was Cole Anthony, the big guy Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, who's a freshman, who's also a big guy, and Brandon Robinson. And Brandon Robinson's really a guy that should be like your sixth man, not your go-to wing scorer. And so I've been saying what Roy Williams, has said, what Roy Williams said on his radio show. I've been saying that for two months. And what happened with North Carolina that's kind of interesting is, is that they actually, when I said that, they had two freshman guards, Jeremiah Francis and Anthony Harris, who were both injured at the time. They both come back healthy. It feels like finally North Carolina has been rejuvenated a little bit. I actually saw North Carolina in Las Vegas against UCLA the same day Ohio State played uh, Kentucky. And Roy Williams said, man, like we needed these two freshmen. Like these two freshmen were a lifesaver for us. Well, what happens? The kid Anthony Harris, who was one of his best players coming back from an injury, just tore his ACL a few days ago. So Roy Williams makes the comment, it becomes this big national story, but he's absolutely correct. Like it's not a it's not a story. Like, like it's like what it's like what goes on with this show. It's not a hot take if it's true. If I say Louisville stinks, it's not a hot take if they do stink. Well, Roy Williams said his team is the least talented team he's ever had. That's actually factually correct. And so it became this big national talking point. I do think Roy Williams was correct, but I do think uh, the facts have kind of played themselves out over the last couple days, and if you haven't been paying attention, what you need to know about North Carolina is very simply this, North Carolina on Saturday lost at home to Georgia Tech, not good. Georgia Tech, I will give them credit. They play hard. They played Kentucky hard earlier this year. They played Arkansas hard earlier this year. They actually played Duke very hard on Wednesday night, but they're not the kind of team that you should be losing to at home. Then what happens? North Carolina loses again on Wednesday night at home to Pitt. Pitt, again, they play hard. Jeff Capel, I actually think he's doing a very good job there. I think he'll get them back to respectability soon. But North Carolina should never lose back-to-back games at home to Georgia Tech and Pitt. It just should never happen. In the same way that Alabama shouldn't lose to Mississippi State in football at home. That's no disrespect to Mississippi State, but we have 100 years of history that tells us Alabama's the superior program. They should never lose to Mississippi State. That is the same with North Carolina basketball, and they just lost to Georgia Tech, and they just lost to Pitt both at home home. And so with the loss, North Carolina fell to eight and seven. And I think, and of course I'm the only one saying it right now, but, and I think it's going to be a story over the next couple weeks, I think we have to have the realistic conversation to be ready for the fact that Cole Anthony, who is by all accounts going to be a top 10 NBA draft pick, will never play another minute for North Carolina. Now, obviously, if you guys listen to this show, and you do because you're subscribed, you rate, you review, you tell me how great I am, if you listen to this show, you know that that pains me to say, I am Mr. College Basketball, I defend college basketball, I believe college basketball has a value for these players, I believe that 99.99999% of players need college, they need the structure, the strength and conditioning, the nutrition, the coaching. There aren't very many guys like Zion Williamson that could just skip a step altogether and not miss a beat. And so it pains me to say that Cole Anthony may never play another game of college basketball. But I at least think the conversation is going to start to happen over the next couple weeks, and here's why. With the loss, North Carolina fell to 8-7 and seven on the season. Cole Anthony's injury when he went down, he had a meniscus tear, and he had surgery to repair it. And I've had a meniscus tear, and I've had the surgery to repair it. This is me, Aaron Torres. It takes about a month for you to feel right, and the timetable was four to six weeks to come back. Uh, Tuesday marked the three-week uh, uh, date of the surgery, so he could be back as early as next week. But let's be honest. That's not going to happen. There's too much risk. North Carolina is not going to rush him back. I would think it would be closer to the six-week mark than the the three-week mark or the four-week mark. And so what happens then? Well, they're eight and seven. They've just lost back-to-back games. They do play Clemson at home on Saturday, a team that, yes, they should absolutely beat, but then again, they're supposed to beat Pitt. They didn't beat them. They're supposed to beat Georgia Tech. They didn't beat them. And so I'm not positive that they're gonna beat Clemson. I think they can, but I'm not positive. But even if they beat Clemson, after that, three of their next four games are on the road. And so when we're looking at Cole Anthony, when we're looking at a realistic timetable for his recovery, let's say North Carolina goes 3-2 and two over the stretch that he is gone. Well, do the math. That means that they would be 11-9 when he comes back, or 11-9 and nine when he's eligible to come back, and they still would have a loaded schedule in February and early March. This is the schedule after the six-week mark when Cole Anthony would come back. They would still have two games against Duke. They would have to play Louisville. You guys know I've been critical of Louisville, but playing at Louisville ain't gonna be easy. They would have to play at Florida State. Florida State's awesome. They're a legitimate top-ten team. They would have to play Virginia at home. Virginia beat them with Cole Anthony, so I'm not positive that they're gonna beat them even if they come back at home, even if Cole Anthony is back. And so if the team is already at like eleven and nine before he would come back, before he would even really be healthy enough to come back, and you're gonna they're gonna have another two, three, four losses, it becomes a question of are they digging themselves a hole so deep that they won't be able to get out of it before Cole Anthony comes back? And I don't have an answer to that. And I don't have an answer to what Cole Anthony wants to do, what he's going to do, all of those kinds of things. Now listen, you listen to Roy Williams. He's saying all the right things. Cole Anthony is great. He's been with the doctors. He's been rehabbing with our strength and conditioning coaches. We expect him to be back here in a couple weeks. That's great. What else would Roy Williams say? I've also heard that Cole Anthony, look, let's be honest. What is the one thing that we all know about Cole Anthony? That his dad played in the NBA. What you might not know about Greg Anthony, he was a tough SOB. He, when he was at UNLV, you can Google this. He broke his jaw in a game, missed one game, and came back and played the rest of the season with a broken jaw. And so I don't know that it would play well with Greg Anthony for his son to sit out if he was healthy. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but... I think we're heading towards a situation where it's much more realistic than a lot of people may have thought it was two, three, four weeks ago. Because again, North Carolina's gonna dig themselves a hole that might be impossible for them to get out of. And for Cole Anthony, he's gotta weigh the risk-reward. Is it worth coming back? Is it worth coming back if you're not 100%? Is it worth coming back if you're not 100% for a team that's gonna need to win out just to make the NCAA tournament? Now there's the counter-argument too which is that if the team stinks and Cole Anthony puts him on his back, it only increases his draft stock. And that would be something that I do think the family would consider if they were smart. And this is something I don't think James Wiseman took enough into account, is that everyone thinks, oh, well, if you've solidified a top five spot or a top 10 spot, you should just shut it down. It's like, no, not everybody's Zion. Zion was a lock to be the, when Zion busted his foot through his shoe, he was a lock to be the number one pick. There was zero doubt that Zion was going to be the number one pick. So him, if he had decided to shut it down, it wouldn't have affected his bottom line, his dollars and cents. Well, I'll tell you what. The difference between the first and, say, the third pick is like $15 million over the course of a rookie contract. Difference between like the third and the sixth pick is another $15 million over the course of a rookie contract. So those are things that Cole Anthony has to consider as well. Has he done enough to put himself in a position where he believes he can get in that top three, top four, whatever? Because if not, the best thing that he can do is come back and play, put the team on his back and show NBA draft scouts the value that he has to a team. So I don't know what he's going to do. But I think this is a conversation that is going to continue to creep up as North Carolina continues to lose games, and they are going to continue to lose games. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it's a conversation that we have to have. The other thing I haven't even mentioned, you know right now, because we just saw it with James Wiseman, that there are agents chirping in Cole Anthony's ear, that there's agents chirping in Greg Anthony's ear saying, dude, shut it down. We'll pay you $50,000, we will pay you $75,000. Don't play another minute. And here's the thing. So for people who don't really know how all this works, first of all, agents are just terrible people. I mean, we learned that with Christian Dawkins. They don't respect the rules, all that kind of stuff. Well, every agent right now is trying to get to Cole Anthony to beat all the other agents. Because if you wait till the day Cole Anthony declares to try to make contact with him, it's going to be way too late. And so these agents are trying to get to him now. I don't know if they're having any success. I'm not claiming that I have any inside information as far as this is concerned. But agents are trying to get to Cole Anthony now. They're trying to they're trying to beat each other to Cole Anthony to say, hey, come with me. I'll give you whatever you need. We'll take care of you. Don't play another minute in college basketball. So I don't know what is going to happen. But North Carolina is 8-7. and seven, And if we extrapolate out Cole Anthony's timetable to when he would realistically return... I think at best, we're looking at an 11-9 record, maybe a 10-10 record with the tough games ahead, with at Louisville, with at Florida State, with two games against Duke, with the ACC tournament, and it might just get to a point for North Carolina where they dig themselves a hole that they can't get out of. Something to consider, something to think about. I'm just telling you, people are going to start talking about this in two or three weeks. AT is talking about it now on January 9th. It sucks. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he plays in college basketball again, but I'm also a realist and I think it's a conversation worth having. I do really quickly want to touch on the rest of the ACC, which I don't know if you saw. This league freaking stinks, man. And I I sent out this tweet on Tuesday night. I think this is the worst the ACC has ever been in my life. And I'm in my early 30s. I've seen some stuff. I remember Tim Duncan I remember Rasheed Wallace, I remember Jerry Stackhouse, and some of you are probably laughing like, dude, I was in my 30s when Jerry Stackhouse played. I'm sorry, listen, it's not, nothing personal. I remember a lot of ACC basketball, I don't ever remember a season that's this bad. I mean, think about the league this year, and I know everybody's down, and I'm actually in the mailbag, I'll talk about you know teams that are down, teams that are up, all that stuff. But think about the ACC right now. Duke's really good. Say what you want about Duke, you can hate Duke, you can love Duke, they're really good. Florida State. Leonard Hamilton. Friend of Aaron Torres. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. He's going to be on Monday. I think. I hope. I haven't officially done the interview yet, but I hope. That team is really good. I mean, they're actually really legitimately good. But after those two, then you got Louisville. Like, Louisville's fine. They're going to make the tournament. I've been critical of them. I'm critical of Louisville because they were, I believe they were a national championship contender. They were in my preseason Final Four. They have not lived up to expectations. But they will do enough to get into the NCAA tournament. But after you get past those three teams, there's a lot of question marks in the ACC. I mean, think about it. Virginia, the defending national champion. As you all know, I kind of have a love-hate thing with Virginia. I hated them two years ago. Fell in love with Tony Bennett last year. I'm kind of back on that hate train. They lost on the road to Boston College on Tuesday night which is bad enough, but if you look at their resume, first of all, their two of their three losses are an absolute abomination. They got blown, well, all three of them are, really. They got blown out by a bad Purdue team on the road. They lost to South Carolina, who's freaking terrible, and they just lost on the road at BC. And no disrespect to the seven Boston College fans that are, that are rocking out right now, the one Boston College fan that might be listening to this show, like I said, with North Carolina losing a pit at home, you're North Carolina. You're not supposed to lose that game. Virginia, you're the defending national champs. You can't lose it. pit at, at BC, but you just did. And so like, I think Virginia is going to win enough games to make the tournament, but am I 100% positive? No, I'm not 100% positive. Look at their, if you look at their resume, Virginia's best wins are against Cole Anthony or North Carolina when they had Cole Anthony, but they already had two losses at that point a UNC team that's currently eight and seven. their second best win is probably against Arizona State on a neutral court. Arizona State a team that as I record on Wednesday night is nine and five on the season. That's not good. I think they'll make the tournament but I'm not sure. By the way, North Carolina I just mentioned eight and seven <laughs> they stink. yeah, I just made a noise. <laughs> they stink. Syracuse 1-3. I have a whole nother show to do on Syracuse. I was about to go in on Jim Bayheim today. I don't even have enough time. Syracuse is terrible. Syracuse, like North Carolina, is 8-7. Syracuse, by the way, has lost four games at home. They're 1-7 against the Power Five. The only win they have is against Georgia Tech. I think we should actually be having a very serious conversation about is it time for Jim Bayheim to step down. Again, that might be another conversation for another day, but I bring it up because Syracuse stinks, And so you look around the rest of the ACC. This is the worst that I... This is a conference, by the way. Last season, eight NCAA tournament bids. Five teams that made the Sweet 16. Three number one seeds. North Carolina was the number one seed. Virginia was the number one seed. Duke was the number one seed. Those three teams made the Sweet 16. Florida State made the Sweet 16. Virginia Tech made the Sweet 16. Now this year, there's two good teams, a third team that's okay, and then there's a bunch of question marks. Now look, somebody could emerge. Pitt is 11-4. Virginia Tech, who did beat uh, Syracuse the other day, they're 11-4, and and they do have that Maui Invitational win over Michigan State. Like, one of these teams is going to get in. We're going to get probably five. Like, Virginia will be four. Like, Duke, Florida State, Louisville are in. Virginia will be four. And then either North Carolina will get hot or Virginia Tech will get hot or whatever. But I'm telling you, this is the worst that I have ever seen the ACC. There are so many unwatchable games in this league. So that was just kind of a narrative that I did want to get to today. All right, last kind of big topic that I want to talk about. It is the Kentucky Wildcats. Because we got a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show. And... It's funny, right? I was talking about the recruiting stuff the other day with John Calipari and how I give him credit, he throws his freshmen out there, he throws him into the fire, and at some point they figure it out. That's one thing that's pretty cool about Calipari. The other cool thing is that his team as a whole always figures it out. And look, there are the years where they're great from day one, hour one, minute one, 2014, 2015, Although 2009-2010, which I wrote a book about, there's probably nobody that knows more about that team than I do. Even that team, they had a a knack for winning close games, but they didn't dominate. And so it was kind of the same with Kentucky this year. Beat Michigan State, you know, they're the greatest team in the world, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. They lose to Evansville. Uh, That's kind of self-explanatory. And then, of course, the back-to-back losses in Las Vegas. And I told you guys, like, look, they got problems, but I think they're going to figure them out because history tells us that John Calipari will figure it out. And I think that Tuesday night at Georgia was the night that it happened, the night that that light bulb came on, the night that we said, oh, crap, here we go again. I I actually wrote about this. I used the analogy. Have you guys ever seen the movies Major League and Major League 2? This was the analogy that I used in a piece that I did for Kentucky Sports Radio. Is Major League One uh, for? Pe- I, I would assume people have seen the movie, but if you haven't, spoiler alert: cover your ears if you don't want to know what happened in a movie that came out 30 years ago. Major League's basically a movie about the. <laughs> it's a fictional movie. The Cleveland Indians. They get a new owner, Rachel Phelps. Uh, she inherits the the team from her dead husband, and she wants them to be so bad that she can move them to a place other than Cleveland. And so she puts together the worst team possible and all that stuff, and they find out, and they eventually go on a run, and they go to the playoffs, and she, thwart, he, they thwart her plans, and they don't end up moving and whatever. And so in Major League Two, the same thing happens. She thinks, okay, if we're, we're bad enough, we can eventually move them. And the team comes back, and some of the guys are kind of out of it, and Willie Mays Hayes did a movie. It's called Black Hammer, White Lightning. It's amazing. Uh, Charlie Sheen is Rick Vaughn, and he kind of goes corporate. And at the end of the movie, why am I talking about this? At the end of the movie, the team again figures it out, and the last piece is Rick Vaughn kind of going back to old school, wild thing, Rick Vaughn, he played in the California Penal League, and there's a great scene at the end of the movie where we know Rick Vaughn is back because he walks out, he's got his head shaved, and they play the song Wild Thing. And Rachel Phelps, the owner, sits there and says, oh no, not this damn song again. Because she knows what's coming. And that was kind of my thought when I watched Kentucky on Tuesday night. There's got to be a lot of fans that are not Kentucky fans that keep waiting for this program to fall that were sitting there saying, oh no, not this damn song again. Because I do think Kentucky has figured it out. And listen, to be clear, this does not mean that I think Kentucky's going to go undefeated the rest of the season, and they're amazing, and they're going to win every game by 20. They're not. Nobody's going to go undefeated from here on out. I'm not saying they're going to, uh, y- you know, they're the national championship favorite. I don't think one exists. But I do think they've figured out what works, and I think they've turned a corner as a team. And a couple reasons why. One, Tyrese Maxey's become that dude. And he again took over against Georgia. He was again phenomenal. He again made so many plays. Ashton Hagens just figured out what his role is. Uh, he, He is a distributor. He's actually in the top 10 nationally in assists, which I think I knew, but I didn't really know until I looked at the stats. But you know why Kentucky has turned the corner? Nick Richards has turned into a monster, and Emmanuel quickly has turned into a monster. And if you don't watch these two guys every day, Nick Richards, low post guy for the last two years, He's played timid, he's played scared, he's played nervous, and now he's turning into freaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Richards III. Like, it's unbelievable. I mean, the guy's blocking shots, and the guy's got a jump hook, and he's hitting mid-range jumpers, and he looks like a completely different player. And I'm telling you right now, I watch a lot of college basketball. He's one of the best two-way players in college basketball right now at the center position. He brings a dynamic to Kentucky that not many teams have, And you could see when he got out of the game on Tuesday against Georgia, the team wasn't the same. When he came back in, that's when they started to dominate. The other guy, Emmanuel Quickly, man, shout out to that kid, dude. That kid committed to Kentucky to play point guard. Before he can even get to Kentucky, Ashton Hagen's commits. He knows he's going to have to move off the ball. Never, to my knowledge, complained, accepted his role, came off the bench last year, To a degree, he's still coming off the bench this year, but he has just been lights out dagger guy this season. Last three games, 18 points per game, he's shooting 53% from three, and that kid hit one dagger after the other, after the other, after the other. And so again, to be clear, I'm not saying that Kentucky, like it's, oh, like, oh my goodness, like it's, we're winning this thing, we're winning the national championship. But I am saying in this season... I think by the time we get to March, they're going to be as good as anybody. Because for Kentucky, it usually takes them a little bit longer to figure things out. And listen, by the way, they got a hot Alabama team coming to Rupp Arena on Saturday. Alabama just kicked the you-know-what out of Mississippi State on Wednesday night. And listen, Kentucky's going to lose games, all that stuff. So that's not what this is about. What it's about, though, is this team always figures it out. They always turn a corner, and they always have an answer. And I think it happened on Tuesday. I really do believe that that moment struck where it's like, oh, these guys are figuring it out. Watch out. All right. couple quick notes from the week. And again, I don't do game breakdowns, so these are going to be quick. Three games that caught my attention. Texas Tech-Baylor was the first one. These are two legitimate top 10 teams. And I actually think Baylor won this game. And I think Baylor plays at Kansas on Saturday. I don't think Baylor's going to win. If Baylor wins at Kansas on Saturday, they will be the number one team in the country. Here's what you need to know about Baylor. First game of the season, they win. Second game of the season, they play Washington on a neutral court. They have the game in hand, fall apart late, and lose. That was on November 8th. They have not lost since November 8th. Outside of Auburn and San Diego State, who are undefeated, Baylor has the longest winning streak in college basketball. And not only do they have the longest winning streak in college basketball, they beat Villanova, they beat Butler, they beat Arizona, and now they went to Texas Tech and beat Texas Tech at Texas Tech. So what do you need to know about Baylor? All I'll say really quick is this. Three things. One, they play really good defense. Top four teams in the the Big 12 all play good defense. Kansas, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Baylor all play really good defense. They can get scoring from all five guys on the floor. Thought it was cool. Their best player, Jared Butler, he's averaging 17 points a game. Got in foul trouble. He didn't hit his first, um, what do you call it, his first field goal until like four minutes left in the game. They still won. And the third thing kind of plays off that, they are a mentally tough team. They, they were on the road at Texas Tech. Biggest home game of the season so far at Texas Tech. Although Kansas and Kentucky will both play there later this year. And they just made one big shot after the other after the other. Shout out to Baylor. Not going to spend a ton of time breaking down these games. Really quickly, two others that stood out. Seton Hall, they just beat Xavier at Xavier on Wednesday night. And I'm going to tell you this. Seton Hall is another team that's turned a corner. Seton Hall is a team... I think, and this is so weird to say, they had some injuries early, and I think it's helping them right now. So, first of all, Miles Powell gets hurt. We're all bummed. I still think Miles Powell might mess around and win National Player of the Year. He's that good. But what happened was some of their other guys, some of their other guards, Miles Kale and Quincy McKnight, they both kind of had to step up, and now they're both playing with confidence. The bigger thing was Seton Hall. They were trying to play two big guys. They have this kid, Romaro Gill, who's a legitimately seven foot three. He's listed seven foot three, so I'm not making it up. I'm not exaggerating. They have another kid named Sandro, who's really good, but they were playing the two big guys together, and it was like they were clogging up space, and I don't think it really worked, and da 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 da, and this and that. And so I bring it up because this kid, Sandro, got hurt. He broke his hand. And I'm not saying I wish injury upon anybody, because, I mean, obviously I don't. I think it was the best thing that could have happened to Seton Hall, though, because what ended up happening was, what ended up happening was, is that now they play the four guards and the one big guy, (laughs) and listen, we all watch basketball, what happens when you play four guards? You play four out, get it around the big guy, the big guy rebounds, block shots, all that stuff, then you got a bunch of guards that can drive, kick, dribble, shoot. It's kind of like Kentucky on, on on Tuesday night. They figured it out with, with their lineup, too, with the three guards, Nate Sistina, who's a three-point shooter, and Nick Richards. So I think Cien Hall's turned a corner. I think they're the second-best team in the Big East behind Villanova. Last game, Arkansas-LSU. Great game, by the way. Great, 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 great game. Um, and uh, my biggest takeaway was this. LSU won. I don't know if LSU's back. I just think it was a really good matchup for LSU. If you haven't watched Arkansas yet, they're kind of like what I was just saying with Seton Hall. They're super small. They space the floor. They shoot a ton of threes. They defend their butts off. They just don't have any size. And so LSU killed them on the glass. I just think it was actually a very, very good matchup for LSU. They killed them on the glass to the point that Arkansas only had 24 rebounds for the whole game. LSU out-rebounded them by 29 points 23 offensive rebounds. Don't know if LSU's back. I think it was a positive for Arkansas. I think it was a positive for Arkansas because that was a game that they had no business even being competitive in. You get out-rebounded by 29, you get minus a plus a minus 20 on the offensive boards, and you have a chance to win that game? It shows, look, and I've talked about it on this show, People say I'm too pro Eric Musselman the same way they say I'm too pro John Calipari. Well, guess what? You know why I'm pro John Calipari? The guys made seven Sweet 16s and eight, uh, seven, eight Sweet 16s and seven Elite Eights in 10 years. That's why I'm pro John Calipari. He's awesome. And it's the same with Eric Musselman. That team had no business even being competitive, and they were in there. I've said I think Arkansas is the third best team in the SEC, and I still believe that right now. All right, so. I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of wrapping up what's kind of happened in college basketball the last few days. And listen, as I said off the top, uh, you know, this is a topic show. If, If you came here for 25 minutes breaking down Baylor, Texas Tech, or Villanova, Creighton, whatever, I apologize. But I would also say this is a great time to send in a question for the mailbag. Because going through college basketball the rest of the season, I plan on doing these mailbag segments every once in a while. So many of you have sent in questions, but you're always encouraged to send them in. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at Gmail dot com. Send in your questions, and I've got a lot of good ones today. Um, to everybody who sent them in, one thank you. Obviously, not only through email, but also I got some through Instagram, I got some through Twitter. So I pulled out three or four that I think are really good. I will hit on them. If I don't get to your question... It doesn't mean that I didn't see it. It doesn't mean that I don't like you. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate you listening because I appreciate everybody who did listen and who sent in some questions. Uh, I'm only going to get to three or four today. I promise to get to more in later episodes. There was a couple questions. One was about Arkansas. One was about Alabama that I just felt like because they were playing late Wednesday night, I didn't want to answer them kind of in the moment right after their games. And so because of it, I will save them for next week. And there's a bunch of other ones as well. So again, if you want to send in a question, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Here's the first one, and it's a really good one. And it comes from Austin. Austin listens to this show every single episode. And so Austin, thank you for your support. And it's it it it'll feel a little outdated when I read it. He did send it. It's a Kentucky related question, but it came before the Louisville game about a week ago. And so if it sounds outdated, just bear with me. I think it's a great question by Austin, so I did want to tackle it. But he said, Aaron, you've discussed on numerous occasions Kentucky struggles. It happens almost every year. My question is simply, why is this the case? Maybe it's the echo chamber that I live in, but I don't seem to recall hearing other freshmen struggling as much as our guys do. I can think of many examples on our end, Kevin Knox, Keldon Johnson, Scalabissiere, Nick Richards, E.J. Montgomery. We pull a larger number of talented freshmen than any other school, yet we struggle. Anthony Edwards goes to Georgia and dominates. Cole Anthony dominates in North Carolina before his injury. Duke had its three guys last year, Vernon Carey Jr. this year. What's up with Kentucky? Is it John Calipari's coaching style? Do our freshmen come in and coast until it starts to matter? Put on a show for the Scouts in March and leave? It's getting pretty old all right so Austin's question listen I think it was a great one Austin thank you for sending in the question and I get it and it feels a little weird to talk about this after I just raved about Kentucky off the top of the show but I think it's a fair question right we spend so much time talking about high school recruits at the college level and if we're perfectly honest the best ones most of them don't live up to the hype even once they get to campus even if they're a one and done a lot of them don't live up to the expectations that that preceded them when they came to college and by the way that's not just a Kentucky thing think about last year Nasir Little was supposed to be the best recruit that Roy Williams had pulled in uh in four or five years He struggled, he went to the NBA, he moved on. So it happens everywhere, and I think that's the first part of this. So Austin, to answer your question, I think there's two or three parts to it. One, they do struggle in other places. I just mentioned Asir Little, Duke. I know Duke gets so much hype, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett last year, Vernon Carey this year, but let's not forget... Matthew Hurt was really highly rated coming into this year. He hasn't played nearly as well as many expected. Uh, Previous years, Trayvon Duvall was the number one point guard in high school basketball, comes to Duke, goes undrafted. He obviously did not have the season that he thought. Same year, Gary Trent struggles. Same year, Wendell Carter goes top 10. But his parents, you hear them complaining behind the scenes that he's not playing the role that he thought. So first of all, it does happen other places. I think the other thing with Kentucky is... Because it is so much of their quote-unquote brand, I think it's covered much more extensively, not only locally, but nationally as well. You turn on ESPN, and to be clear, I'm not criticizing ESPN, I think they do a really good job, but how often do you hear Seth Greenberg or whoever's in the studio talking about, oh, this Arizona freshman is struggling, or oh, that UCLA freshman is struggling, or oh, that Kansas freshman is struggling? You don't really hear about it. Even when the team is struggling, it's never about the freshmen. With Kentucky, it's always about the freshmen. And part of this is a little bit John Calipari, if you want to say it's his quote-unquote fault, it's because he has made this the brand of the school, and the expectations now are that freshmen are going to come in and contribute right away. And so that's just part of it. I also think that Kentucky, let's be honest, they rely on freshmen a lot more than basically any place other than Duke. You look across the country, Kansas has recruited big-time recruits, and I'll let you kind of insert your own commentary on how or why they got to Kansas, but it's not often that Kansas is relying on a freshman. I mean, even when they've had in the past Josh Jackson, right? Think about Josh Jackson, that year... Frank Mason was basically National Player of the Year. Devontae Graham, who's averaging 20 points a game in the NBA right now, was on that team. And so Josh Jackson was a really highly rated recruit, but he wasn't relied on the way that guys were, are relied on at Kentucky. Um, and so because of it... You don't hear about it as often. At North Carolina, traditionally, if they do bring in a big-time recruit, you don't hear about it because they're not as relied upon. There's other programs across the country. Villanova basically barely plays freshmen even when they bring in McDonald's All-Americans. So because it's part of the brand, because it's talked about, and because Kentucky's relies on freshmen, I think that's a big part of it as well. And the last part is is that, you know, I hate to say it, but there is a difference between a top five player in America and a McDonald's All-American, right? It's funny, right? I'll give you a good example. So I remember talking to a coach uh, at one point. We were talking recruiting and all that stuff. This was a guy at a high major program that recruits McDonald's All-American players. And he said, he said point blank, don't forget when you go to McDonald's, you can get a Big Mac, but there's also the dollar menu. And so his analogy was, You go to McDonald's, there's a difference between the $6 hamburger and the $1 hamburger. And so when you're recruiting these kids, there's a difference between an Anthony Edwards, who's ranked number one or number two in the country, Cole Anthony, who's ranked number one or number two in the country, and the guys that are in that next tier. Nick Richards, you know, somewhere in the top 25, but is he a, just because he's a McDonald's All-American, that doesn't mean that he's the same caliber of player as Cole Anthony, the same with, uh, you know, you go on and on and on down the list through the Kentucky guys that you mentioned. Scala Bissier, I know he was really highly rated coming out of high school, but let's not forget that he didn't play basically his entire senior year. P.J. Washington was good, but not elite in high school. Jared Vanderbilt, good, not elite when he, when he came out of high school. And so when you're not getting that upper, upper, upper tier guy, that's why you're seeing some of these guys struggle. There's only one or two Zions or R.J. Barrett's or John Walls or Anthony Davis's a year that can come in and have that immediate impact. There's plenty of other guys, like I mentioned, Matthew Hurt, Khalil Whitney, um, whoever that are struggling a lot more. So it's kind of a wild question and it really made me think, Austin, and so I appreciate you asking it, But again, I just think every kid is different, and I do think Kentucky, because it's kind of their brand, it's covered different. No, I don't think that for the most part, kids come in and don't care until February or March, and then they they tune it up for the NCAA tournament. I just think it takes a little while more to get going. All right, second question is from Mike on Twitter. He said, interesting thought that was mentioned on Tuesday night's games. How many top 15 teams are better this year than they were last year? And this is kind of a crazy conversation. Jay Billis, who I've you know i been critical of Jay at various points throughout the year, but like it was a good point by him, is that the top of college basketball was just significantly better last year than it is this year. And I've tried to fight it, and I've tried to say, well, what about this team, and what about that team, and let's pump the brakes, and who really knows? But it's hard not to say that when you just look at the results in college basketball this year. You look at college basketball and, And think about just the teams that were at the top last year. Virginia, their only three losses the entire season, two were to Duke, and one was to Florida State in the ACC tournament. They took care of everybody they were supposed to. There was no Stephen F. Austin versus Duke. There was no Evansville versus Kentucky. They showed up to the arena and took care of business. North Carolina, for the most part, it was very much the same. Duke basically lost like two games all year without Zion Williamson. One was against Gonzaga early. One was in the NCAA tournament late. When that guy was on the floor and healthy, they never lost. Kentucky, once they flipped a corner with P.J. Washington, got it figured out. Uh, You go on and on and on down the list. It is amazing that upper tier of teams was so much better than this year's teams and the reason I know it is because this year's teams aren't taking care of business I mean you think about the teams at the top of college basketball okay there's Gonzaga I don't think Gonzaga is better than they were last year than they are this year remember I talked about it a few episodes ago Gonzaga had two guys that were first round picks a third guy that's in the NBA a fourth guy that was a fifth year senior now Gonzaga has a good record I don't know if they're better um Texas Tech, they took a couple losses early. I don't think that they're better this year than they were. And so it's an incredible question. I don't think there's any doubt that the top of college basketball isn't as good this year. And to the question posed specifically, all the top teams, I would say, are probably worse. Duke is worse, even though they're number one or number two in the country. Gonzaga's worse, even though they're number one or number two in the country. Virginia is definitely worse. North Carolina is definitely worse. Auburn, even though uh, they've been playing so well early in the year, I don't think they're as talented as last year. Kentucky, I would guess, is not as talented as this year, although we'll find out. Texas Tech, the same. It also makes me wonder. It's so crazy how this stuff works, but you do kind of wonder, like... Some of these coaches got to be pulling their hair out, right? Because you think about how hard it is to win a national championship and when you actually have a team that's good enough to do it. And I wonder if Roy Williams, after he made the comments that he made earlier this week, um, if he really does feel like, man, if I could have just gotten that roster this year, we'd be running college basketball. Gonzaga same deal I know they're number one in the country but they were better last year so I wonder how many coaches if you gave them true serum would say man I just wish I had last year's roster this year it's a fascinating question something that I've thought about quite a bit over the course of the season as it is proof that um, frankly college basketball just is not as good this year as it was in the past all right Johnny on Instagram he says Aaron you wanted some questions for the pod here goes is Tennessee alive offensively now that Santiago has joined the team or am I just a Tennessee hopeful? So for people who don't know, over the last, what, 10 days, Tennessee has added a point guard from Uruguay and his name is Santiago. And I'm not even gonna try to say his last name, but the, the results have been, I think for the most part, actually pretty good since he showed up on campus Uh, To the University of Tennessee. And of course, keep in mind that he came to Tennessee right after Lamonte Turner went down with a season ending injury. And I don't, it wasn't, he was already going to come, but the fact was he came at the right time because of the fact that they needed a point guard and they needed scoring. And this kid, for the most part, has lived up to the hype. In his debut against LSU, he had 18 points. Um, and in in the second game against uh, Missouri, he had 12. and it really does feel like he is a spark that this team needed. He had six threes against LSU, went two for three from three against Missouri. That said, I don't know if it's gonna last long term. I really don't, and this is not a knock on on Johnny, but the bottom line with Tennessee is this is a couple things. One, I think as teams get to know who this kid is and what the scouting report on him is, they're gonna know that he is a great three-point shooter. Right now, he has proven to be turnover prone. Uh, And when I say turnover prone, he had nine against LSU in his debut. And he's not really yet, at least that I've seen, a playmaker for others. And so I think as people get more comfortable with him in the starting lineup, they're gonna realize like, hey, don't get leave this guy open. Don't give him three-point shots. And whatever you do, just don't let him shoot three-point shots. Because if you do that, you will keep this guy in check. And so I don't think Tennessee, I don't think this kid is the answer. To answer your question, Johnny, I do think that um, you are being a little bit of a Tennessee hopeful, but I don't blame you. I thought it was a good effort on Tuesday night against Missouri. But for Tennessee to have success, they need this kid. I'll tell you who else they need. They need Jordan Bowden, man. I mean, this was a guy, and I said this on this podcast for so much of the offseason, but Jordan Bowden was a guy in the offseason that I thought really could make a leap this year because there were games last season when Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield and Jordan Bone were on that team that Jordan Bowden was the best player on the floor, And so you come into this year, you think as a senior that he'll improve in the same way that most guys improve, but you look across the board, his shooting percentage is down, his three point shooting percentage is down, his scoring is slightly up because he's shooting more, but he hasn't been the player that Tennessee needs. And so for Tennessee to make a run, the Santiago guy, he's a good story. It's cool. He's from Uruguay. It's different. It's fun. But. Tennessee needs Jordan Bowden to step up, and if Jordan Bowden steps up and plays the way that he's capable of consistently, night in and night out, they can do enough to make the NCAA tournament because they do have some nice wins on their resume. They beat um, they beat Washington earlier in the season when they when those two teams played in Canada. They beat. Um, they beat, uh, excuse me, I'm tripping over my words here. They beat Virginia Commonwealth earlier in the season, which is probably going to be an NCAA tournament team. Now, they did lose to Cincinnati. They did lose to Wisconsin. So Tennessee would have to play well in the SEC. I still think it's a possibility that Tennessee is an NCAA tournament team, but it's about Jordan Bowden. It's not about this new kid. The new kid helps, but he's not the answer. Jordan Bowden is the answer. Last question, it comes from Russ. And it is a great question. And it really made me think. He said, A.T., love listening to the show. This came on Twitter. Would you, Who would you take to win it all? If I gave you Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga, and Kansas, or I gave you the field, who would you take? Whew, Russ, that is an unbelievable question, and I'll tell you why. Because it's so funny. I was texting a friend of mine and I was texting them during the Michigan State-Michigan game, and maybe it's recency bias or whatever, but I said, the two teams that have looked the best when they are at 100% locked in are Michigan State and Gonzaga. And so traditionally, if you're giving me the two teams that I like the most, plus Duke, which has only lost a fluky game to Stephen F. Austin, and Kansas, who has only lost to Duke and at Villanova, I would probably take those four teams. But, this ain't the typical year. And something that I have a feeling I'm going to be talking about over these next two, three, four months as we head into March and through the NCAA tournament is very simply this, is very simply that it is a wide open NCAA tournament. And you talk about, and I haven't even talked about this on the last episode, I can't remember, but you talk about a year where just about anybody is going to be able to make the Final Four. Like, I think this is the year where a... a um, Similar to Loyola, Chicago a few years ago, South Carolina, a, a six seed, a seven seed. Somebody gets hot and makes the Final Four. And I think there are teams that we're not even talking about that can win the national championship. I think San Diego State can win the national championship. I think Dayton can win the national championship. I think, uh, you know, uh, Seton Hall, if Mar- if uh, Miles Powell gets hot, can win the national championship. Michigan State, Michigan, I still to a degree believe in Ohio State. So the reason I bring it up is because I think there's more teams than usual that can win it all because those best teams aren't as good. So I'll simply say that I would probably take the field. Duke, Gonzaga, Michigan State, and Kansas, or the field, I would probably take the field, although I would not feel good doing it. All right, great questions today. As I told you, if I did not get to your questions, it doesn't mean that I haven't seen them, or I don't know that they're there, or I don't like you, or I don't appreciate you listening to the show. It's the exact opposite. I appreciate everybody chiming in. And I promise to get to those questions as time goes on. But I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So for those of you who are listening regularly, I appreciate it. For those of you who tuned in today, I appreciate it. But I think that's all for today's show. Please, as always, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. You can do it on Podbean. You can do it on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're tuned in. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars like Rico Pico780 did and like Yes Yes Maybe did a few days ago. Also, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And also Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. I will get to more probably next Wednesday. As I mentioned, if all goes well, I'm actually going to be talking to Leonard Hamilton for the next episode, which I'm really excited. Next episode probably will be a little bit more college football heavy because, of course, it will come out the day of the national championship game with Clemson and LSU. But I think that's it for today's show. Like I said, I will be at Lagasse Stadium doing the show from there on Sunday. But I appreciate you listening. I'm excited about what is coming in the next few weeks. But that is it. Thank you again. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'm sorry that you don't like the voice, Rachel. Nothing I can do about it. Shout out to Stu. And I will be back later this week. Anatomy of an ad.